And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Good evening, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I am Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And so welcome to August. Uh, We're continuing our month here, our month-long discussion of popular flowering trees in the landscape. So tonight, we are going to take a look at some of the other popular um, larger trees. We've, you know, the last two weeks we talked about small flowering trees, right, Matt? And standard uh-huh. trees, standard trees. And, uh, but there are a lot of popular larger flowering trees. Um, so flowering that we see in the landscape and that we love to design with and we want to recommend to people. Um, so if you've got, uh, so we'd like you to join in the conversation. Or if you have a flowering tree question, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions to us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, and so we're, we're excited to talk about it. We've got We came up with a long list, didn't we, Matt? We did, we did. And I think hopefully we'll get through all of them and uh, maybe our listeners with questions or maybe you want to share your uh, favorite large mm-hmm. flowering tree in your yard with us and where you are. Uh, we can add a few to our wonderful long list. That That's is right. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And we do love knowing where you're from. So when you do send us a question, which we love, questions um just let us know where you are because that'll help us know especially if you're asking about which tree we recommend that will really help won't it that's right and i think one of the main points we took from last week as well uh is don't forget to visit your local independent nursery to see what cultivars and species uh that your area is uh carrying those are going to be the ones hopefully that are doing the best in your area uh, that you can, you know, in your local growing conditions to really give you uh, that success with that tree or shrub or anything that you're planting. So don't forget to check in with your local experts as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially mm-hmm. those far away from the GTA, because we love you guys listening. Uh, but we don't probably have a list of trees for Southern California. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> or our list is a little different than yours. Yes, yeah, that's for sure. And also by professionals, I do mean like even landscape designers, some, you know, if there's um, guard, uh, gardening companies, they can probably source and sometimes have uh access to trees that might not be in your local garden center. Um, As a landscape designer, I mean, I can source, um, you know, kind of look for plants from different growers. So now we're buying directly from the grower. And I'm sure that's the case with landscape designers all over. So, uh, so sometimes that's a, you know, we're a good resource, right, Matt? Like, you know, we're not, it's not the main part of our business, but if there's something specific you're looking for, um, we might be able to help you uh, find it. That's right. That's right. I also think of um, you and and the garden clubs. 
Uh, you mm -hmm. might also have some a local garden club with a lot of great local experts who have grown many, many different uh, things that you can talk about or use as a resource as well. So there's lots of individuals uh, we're all surrounded by who can help us with our tree selection. So looking at our big long list, mm -hmm. what do you, a tree? Um, what tree are you most excited about on our list, or what one jumped out to you, or did I have? Uh, are we missing yours from the list? As no, no, you're not. I was like, should we go in? Did you put it in alphabetical order? I'm like, okay, but you didn't. You almost did. <laughs> but I almost did. Yes, <laughs> you almost did. Yeah, you almost did. I mean, I think we could probably talk a little bit about um, serviceberry, like you know, or we can go in order of your list e either way. But serviceberry, I think, is is popular uh, very much right now, especially because it is a native tree. That's right. Yes, we've got a couple of the different species. We've got our uh, Amelanchi or Canadensis, our, our service berry, uh, but we've also got Ulnifolia uh, as our local or our, one of our native service berries as well. And they're uh, both native to North America. They're both uh, moderate to large size shrubs, uh, Ulnifolia being a little smaller in that 12 to 18 foot range, tall and wide, uh, and then Canadensis being a little bit bigger closer to that 20 to 24 foot uh, tall and wide as well. But yeah, great large shrubs or shade tree forms you'll mm -hmm. also find in uh, the garden center, which is great. So if you need a very large shrub or you are looking for that classic shade tree form where it's just a nice trunk limbed up and then a nice uh, head to your tree, you can find them often in that shape and form as well. But these guys are great, um, you know, partial shade to full sun. Uh, tolerant, nice oval-shaped leaves, that medium green minty color, uh, and then they get some nice uh, fall color as well in the reds and the oranges. They have beautiful blue-black berries for um, uh, the wildlife. So again, if you're looking to support local flora and fauna, uh, that's a great tree to throw in there as well. One of the ones cultivars that I often see in our garden center um, is actually a hybrid, um, and it's known as Autumn Brilliant Service Barrier Berry, Amelanchier <laughs> uh, X Grandiflora Autumn Brilliant. So again, full sun, partial shade, uh, like the other service berries, preferring average to moist conditions, not too particular with soil conditions. They can be pretty adaptable. Uh, medium growth rate to about 25 feet tall and about 20 feet wide. Uh, and again, those oval green leaves going this beautiful, uh, regularly, very consistent and evenly brick red kind of color for the fall. And then oh, she's cool. going to bloom showy white flowers uh, in, in the May. spring. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. There's, there's the flowering, flowering tree. I know. I'm like, tree. yeah, we're, we're, that's the flowering part of the flowering tree. Um, <laughs> yes. So the, yeah, May's flowering tree and then nice green leaves and then the, and the red fo foliage. I didn't realize that makes sense now that you say that about autumn brilliance um that it's red the other one is a little bit more yellowy orange right the regular cultivar right right in my experience and i thought they could handle more shade and yes yes they can definitely handle okay. more shade they can definitely handle i've seen them in uh almost like full shade with a bright indirect mm -hmm. or a full dappled shade uh for sure they're very shade tolerant yeah i find yeah. as well yeah they're great go ahead no no and the alternifolia or Alnifolia, the same conditions. And I was saying to yeah. you before the show that I 
didn't know I've seen Saskatoon Berry like on my computer this you know I, I get to choose between Service Berry or Saskatoon Berry and I just thought it was really the same thing not realizing that it really wasn't the same botanically so um so yeah 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 and and there, there's even another one the um Allegheny Service Berry Emelanchy or Lavis which is about 20 feet tall and 15 feet wide partial shade to full sun and and again nice showy flowers uh, in the spring and excellent fall colors. So it's also okay. another nice tree as well. Yeah. So I think it's a good one to start with because it is native to North, like quite a bit of North America, right? You, you say? Yeah. And um, spring color, spring flowers and, and fall color as well as berries for the birds. So it, and it, because it's not a massive tree, you know, so it definitely in the yards we're designing the average neighborhood you know, we're not putting in, you know, 40 foot maples anymore. So, um, so yeah, so I think there's always a space for a service berry. Um, and knowing that it also is available in a shrub form is also very cool. So, yeah. I was just kind of laughing at the, as we put in big, big trees, as true as that is, we don't really are putting these towering trees. Um, I just made me smile because the other day I had a, a guest at the garden center and they had maybe about 40 to 45 feet wide at the back of the, their yard. It was a little longer, maybe about 60 feet long, uh, but they dropped in a red maple and a, um, a red oak. So they were 50, 40 to 50 tall between the two of them and 40 wide both. Wow. So, yeah. And they just, they were just creating this massive amount of shade because yeah. Anyways, yeah. I, I digress because they yes, don't really have any showy okay. flowers. But we have a good question. Joan has written in, and this is a good thing to talk about to kind of because it helps with the rest of the show as well. So thanks for your question, Jane. Uh, Joan, sorry, Joan. She is from Albany, New York, so our zone map. Um, but uh, she she said that she heard you mention the word cultivars, and what does the word actually mean? Thanks much. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe start off explaining that. You know, we often get that cultivar versus hybrid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good question, Joan. So cultivar basically stands for cultivated variety. So we've got our native species, our plant species that are, are crossing, cross-pollinating and creating either themselves or they'll have a mutation in a new variety, which is very similar to um, uh, the parent. For example, one of the trees, I don't think I have it on the list, but maybe I jotted it in on mine, uh, but the red bud, for example, um, you know, naturally those like pink lavender flowers, but we might see the variety Alba, where it is basically the same parent, but it comes out with white flowers. So we have that nice natural variety. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll get some of those varieties that won't go true to seed and we'll cultivate them. So we'll take cuttings uh, or propagate them asexually, and then they become cultivated varieties of that that plant. So okay. these are ones that if we just let them go to seed, they won't be really true to seed. Uh, they might be similar, but we won't get those same characteristics. So we've locked into a plant that we like its characteristics. Uh, you know, for example, the autumn brilliance uh, service berry for its beautiful brick red color and its shape. And so we're cultivating that regularly. Uh, so cultivar just is a short term for a variety that we are cultivating. Uh, man is cultivating to propagate and sell. There we go. Excellent. Here we go. Yeah. Excellent. So that's question. good. So yeah, I would say, sir. So going back to our trees, uh, the service berry is one that I, I use often, whether in tree form or in shrub form. So 
Um, you know, they're just very versatile, but I do, I am cognizant of, again, when we find those things and we overuse them. Right. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would think that another tree that's very recognizable to people as far as flowering trees would be the magnolia. Yes. Every year, even now in the garden center, um, magnolias. Do you have any magnolias? Do you have any magnolias? Uh, and so if you aren't familiar, the magnolias, uh, there are a few different species. Um, there's the saucer magnolias, the star magnolias. There's dozens and dozens uh, of different hybrid uh, species out there or hybrids out there. Um, so they've crossed two species to get somebody. Uh, just going on Joan's question there. Uh, but yeah, so magnolias is a, is a big one. They are known for their large, showy flowers. Usually the one that comes to mind or the most popular that I usually get asked for, especially in the garden center, uh, are the saucer magnolias. So those are those uh, large pink uh, flower types, and they're usually pink with some white edging, or they're pink on the outside, a dark pink and a lighter pink on the inside. There's a few different color variations, but they're uprightly held petals, and then the lower petals uh, are, are usually flattened out. So it almost looks like a little uh, teacup or like a flower cup made out of petals. And then there's a few that tend to lay flat to be like the saucer of the teacup. So you get that saucer magnolia or that saucer kind of name. Uh, but yeah, they are great. And they have come in a variety of different uh, colors. And they've, depending on, again, the cultivar and the variety or the species, uh, whatever group you're looking in, you can get in anywhere from uh, those beautiful pink colors in the spring, uh, usually before or just at the time of leaf. And you can get, you know, the pinks, the purples. Uh, there's one of my favorites, which is the yellow bird. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you use yellow bird at all, uh, but yellow bird, which comes out with beautiful uh, yellow flowers that are very fragrant cups uh, in the spring. This one comes out before the foliage appears uh, and they last up to three weeks long before before they vanish. You've probably seen the magnolia or know the magnolia. A lot of people think they're messy because those big petals, they're very, very large. They're finger length, if not longer, if you look at your hand, and they tend to shed and cover the lawn uh, completely. Mm -hmm. uh, am I describing the group? You are. Enough? Yeah, definitely. I think they definitely <laughs> look like our larger shrubs in the way that they're like, it's a multi-stem tree. And the different varieties come in different sizes. So, so so not all will be as massive as a saucer magnolia. And that is a downside. I mean, I think the two downsides with them is one, it they're brief, right? So they bloom for maybe yeah. a week, maybe two if we're really, really, really lucky. This week, this year we were lucky. It was a longer, a kind of a longer, cooler period of time in those first two weeks of May here in the GTA. Um, and then, so, so I think sometimes it's just short-lived as well as then when they're done, they're done and it's a bit messy, but it's not like it's messy the rest time of the year. No. And, and actually I was just meeting, I was just doing a, a talking with a, like a client earlier today and I quickly looked up her address and Google earth and stuff. And she's got a beautiful magnolia tree on her front yard. So, I mean, I could tell it was a magnolia. It's got a beautiful vase shape to it. So I think they really are a nice feature. 
Um, and sometimes I think overlooked because, and she said her, she goes, I can't believe that tree is doing so well. The kids climb all over it. It's kind of that perfect. And I was like, oh, that is like a perfect kind of climbing tree, right? So I never would have thought of that. So, you know, if you've got a yard with kids, maybe, and you want like a little bit of shade, a little bit of screening, a little bit of spring flower. And, uh, you know, and aside from those, right, aside from that little period of mess with the blooms, it's not yeah. like it proceeds to be messy for the rest of the year, right? No. You're not going to get any yeah. mess for the rest of the year. There's no fruit that are dropping everywhere, mm. doing anything weird like that. And if yeah. you don't have a very large space, um, like you said, naturally, they like to be that multi-stem form. But again, in garden centers, you can get that small tree form. So you can get them trained to be a single stalk and then branching out. Uh, mm -hmm. But take a look at the girl, the little girl series. Oh, okay. um, so this is like, uh, I'm going to try to name them without the list, but uh, like Anne and Betty uh, Ricky oh, okay. and Randy and Pinky, uh, but they've got those. Were they sizes. all on in the show Grease? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, well, we could be, I don't know if you want to add those to the show notes, so we can just recommend that uh, people are looking for that series. Yeah, yeah. my favorite is the Anne, uh, mm. four to nine, and she's going to grow about eight to 10 feet tall and wide, and you can get that nice little stalk, so a nice little medium sized tree if you've got a smaller space. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And you mentioned the yellow bird. So I put it in a design, I think like eight years ago, maybe more, but it's near my house. So this, so every spring, like I go by and it's funny because the, where they put, where we chose to put it, it's almost like it, it's hard to tell whose property it belongs to, like the, my former client or the neighbor where it is. And it's got, it grew it, like it had so many years where it didn't really bloom, like it grew really tall. And this year it really, so I happened to walk past early spring and I'm like, oh, it's going to bloom. And literally it made me go for walks. And I was like a uh -huh. because anybody else walking, I would stop and point and make them look at it. I'm like, that's a yellow magnolia. <laughs> that's rare. Like, you know, you don't usually see it, but the blooms, I could never tell you it was fragrant because unfortunately <laughs> the blooms are so high up. I know that's the kind of geek I am. Come on. You would do the same. <laughs> I would do the same. I'm just laughing. I'm just picturing if you live in the GTA and a woman has stopped you on the road, look at this tree over here. Look at here. the tree. Look, look at the flower. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's another <laughs> landscape designer because we all do it, you know. That's true. Or we weed do, even. If this is a really weird, rare, rare weed, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Not um, that weed, but, you know, a weed. <laughs> a weed. A <laughs> plant right. whose virtues have yet to be discovered. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so what about you? Do you have a favorite from our list? Uh, you know what? I added one after I was thinking to our list. Um, and it's actually a type of maple. Um, and I, I love this one for a few reasons. So it's the hot wings tartian maple, uh, Acer tartaricum garan. And it's native to um, the Tartan Mount, Tartar Mountains, Tartar Mountains uh, in Russia. So it's a, a Europe and Asia, um, a native tree, full sun, partial shade. So in three to eight, we get it in, in, um, here, it does like a little bit more cooler zones and areas from the mountains, uh, preferring average to moist to well-drained soils. Um, but this one's a nice medium growth tree. It's got an unusual maple leaf. It's um, irregularly double serrate on the, the edge of the mar uh, margin. So it's got kind of a little bit of a texture on the leaf margin, but it blooms in spring with the leaves already out. Where a lot of like the Norway maples, for example, right, they already bloom and you get that kind of a little bit of a fuzz, that yellow or the red fuzz 
that shows up before the leaves bloom. So these guys get creamy white to yellow, fragrant little clusters uh, with their little leaves. And are then, they noticeable though? Like, they you, are, norm, are they? They're more noticeable because regular maple trees, like I know you would, the science guy. We would you, notice it, right? You'd notice. I, I don't know. I don't know. To me, I don't see it as a flower, but this one is more distinct. Yeah, yeah. So they're little clusters about uh, two to four to five inches wide. Um, they're only about a half inch to an inch tall. So they're blooming when the other maples really aren't or what our areas, typical maples aren't really. Um, so it's really kind of neat. You get those little white kind of puffy flowers all over the place. But then what I like about this is the illusion. It's actually the keys of this one. Uh, so the Samara, uh, hence the name Hot Wings. They produce very small keys, the little helicopters the maples like to do, uh, very, very early. And they go very, very bright red. Um, and then they hang on the tree from about late spring, early summer, all the way through till about mid-fall. So it almost looks like it's a flowering red tree, but it's covered in all the little clusters of its keys. And I like it because it's about 20 feet tall to 30 feet tall, depending on your conditions, 15 to 20 feet wide so it's not a super large tree mm -hmm. uh, it's medium and then it has a beautiful orange red fall color so it's kind of got that is it related to, to like it. the emir maple or yes no? okay yeah. okay uh, it's the law and uh, just in, almost so much in appearance they're different species um the the acer janela and then the acer uh but they look very similar in in uh leaf shape and then sometimes the fall colors are very, very close to one another. So sometimes they'll get often get mixed up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have a couple of questions. Did you want to, so oh, yeah. um, John has written in and he said he heard us talk about, heard you talk about a tree or us uh, on another show that actually grew two different fruits in the same tree. Is that correct? And what is it called? Wasn't that the fruit cocktail tree or the cocktail tree? <laughs> Yes, I believe yes. we're talking, John, about um, one of our fruit trees. Uh, so, yeah, you can get a lot of the grafted fruit trees. They're going to make, you know, we get the semi-dwarf, so they make small to medium trees, uh, 12 to 15 feet tall and wide, depending on uh, who you've got. But you can get them so that you get different uh, cultivars or types of apple on the same tree, because a lot of the apples, pears, um, and I'm just totally blanking on another one, uh, but they are cherries is what I was thinking need two pollinators of a different type. So you can't, for example, have um, like two Macintosh apples pollinating. You need like a Macintosh and a Red Delicious just for, for an example to make sure they're compatible. So John, yeah, what they do is they graft different um, apples onto the same tree. So then you can usually see three, four or um, three or four in one on one tree. So you get one tree with three to four different apples, cherries, pears, plums, peaches, and then like Joanne was saying, there's the fruit cocktail tree where there are some compatible species where you can get a peach, a pear, a plum, and um, a nectarine. On one tree. Yeah, all, all on, on one, one tree. tree. Right. So you get that mm -hmm. kind of fruity cocktail kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's short-lived, right? Like, Because doesn't, doesn't the dominant one kind of win in the end? Uh, sometimes, depending on which one it is. Okay. Uh, but they will last about 25 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah. that's kind of cool. It's funny because it's like, why do we have to go for four? Like, I think it'd be cool <laughs> if two fruit, like, you know what I mean? Like, let's just keep it simple. And like two fruit, like to be able to grow a peach and a pear on the same tree would be cool. Like, but do we need to do all four, you know? So it's so funny, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's true. It, that it exists. Um, yeah. Spring is usually the best time early spring to buy fruit trees and definitely look into mail order. If that's something that interests you, um, I've heard, uh, we've had, uh, we have a fellow, uh, reality radio, um, uh, lady who specializes her show is on Gary. You can tell us where her show is on Susan. Yes. Poisner. Susan Poisner, the last Tuesday of each month at 1 PM at 1 PM. And she definitely recommends getting bare root stock from uh, mail order at, at grows faster and and avoid some problems although we do know that like garden centers will have them available as well in the spring but um so yeah so if that's something you're keen on then you've got a couple of options uh because sometimes spring gets busy right and you forget whereas in the winter you know in january you can order it and it just shows up when it's time to show up so uh so sometimes that's the benefit of mail order sometimes so um yeah yes and if you're looking for a fruit tree john like mid to end of April is the spring you want to go for for that early time. They're one of the first ones that usually arrive yeah. in the garden center. Excellent. Yeah, with the roses. And we have another fruit tree question. This time, uh, Donna has written in and she says, hello down the garden path. My family and I just love your show, radio show. Thank you so Thank much, you. Donna. Uh, I have a question for you regarding cherry trees. We just love cherries in my family. We want to grow a cherry tree, but we're really not sure if it's worth it for the yield that it would bring or the maintenance on the tree that we would have to do. We live in Boulder, Colorado and growing zone 7B, or sorry, 5B, which is us too, right? Um, can you give us any insight about this? Thank you very, very much, Donna. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize that Boulder, Colorado is, is zone 5B. Yeah, they're very close to like our climate and everything. Yeah, so that's very great. Cool. Um, yeah, I think it depends on the, the tree, right? Yeah, yeah. It depends on, on your tree, what flavors you like. Are you going sweet? Are you going sour? Um, I believe, And I may be wrong, but I believe most of the sours are self-pollinating. But the sweets you need someone to pollinate with. Um, as far as the maintenance, the biggest maintenance, just and I was, um, when I lived in Toronto, we had a very big cherry tree in our backyard. And it was just left to grow to its maximum height. I think it was about 20 feet tall, this cultivar. Um, and we were able to pick quite a lot of cherries, uh, Donna. We got lots of cherries out of it, but there was also a lot just that were so far out of our reach that it kind of became messy in the way that the animals would pick at them or eventually they would fall off and it became messy that way. So what I would do is I would, if you wanted to go for, try to find a dwarf or semi-dwarf um, but then I would learn how to prune it because you can keep them shorter or within arm's reach, kind of like some of the orchards do to make it a lot more manageable for you. And you can enjoy a lot more cherries uh, mm -hmm. that way for sure. But that's mm -hmm. that's how I would go. And then again, Anna, just like we were talking to John, um, you can get the cherries in the multiple in one cherry. So if you didn't have one specific one you were after, there's a there's a, you know, a three or four uh, multiple in one cherry that you can grab as well mm -hmm. or maybe a fruit cocktail tree as well that's right and definitely um donna check out on uh, reality radio um check out susan poisoner's show um as well um orchard people is her business and so i'm sure she has past episodes as well 
Um, so yeah, so she can talk more. And again, it's something you can start researching. And I think if you're researching it this early, you can really look for the lower maintenance, the more disease resistant, the dwarf or semi-dwarf, like Matt said, because sometimes if it's, it's better if, if the space, you know, you can get two dwarf trees and that would increase your yield, but not necessarily, to, you know, give you a 20 foot massive tree, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, two quick things about that too, just thinking about yield. Yes. If you do go something that's self-pollinated, people like that idea because it's one tree um, in their smaller space, they do cross-pollinate and give you a better yield when there's another one of uh, a compatible cross-pollinator. You'll get more for it. Uh, and then just as we mentioned Susan Poisoner for now the third time, uh, for those who might want to tune in, it's next Tuesday, according to Gary, uh, August 31st at, uh, is it 1 p.m.? 1 p.m. Eastern, that's Excellent. correct. 1 p.m. One to 2 p.m., yes. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll, we'll link to her in the show notes, too. So if anybody didn't catch that, yeah. we'll link to her. Because I think it's great that she has a niche and she's got a market and, and she's got a passion for, for, for fruit trees. So uh, so uh, so that's exciting. And we love to we love our listeners to tune in. Um, and she's a great resource. So um, So, yeah. So that's great. Um, yeah, so we've lots of fruit trees or lots of, and I mean, of course, cherry trees are also flowering trees as well. So they, they do kind of technically fit with the show. So that's great because that's another option, right? Um, so we have one from Dawn. He's asked, uh, he's asked about, you always hear people saying that you want to minimize stress to a tree. How do you do that? What do you mean by that? He's very funny. He said, should we go out and sing to his trees, every, to our trees every night? Please clarify. Once in, planted, they are in. Correct? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, Don, I recommend a little bit of Frank Sinatra right at sunset. Um, <laughs> it just relaxes the trees. They could. Yes. No. Yes. Um, but, yeah. But, you Fly know, choosing... to the moon. There you go. There right? you go. <laughs> I think there's a number of ways. I mean, it, one, it depends on the age of the tree. So I think there's different ways to stress the tree, depending on different age, ages, you know. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that one. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I, just as we go over um, a lot of the conditions of the trees and shrubs that we've been talking about um, over the last few um, episodes, you know, just making sure, Dawn, that know your site conditions. What soil do you have? Full sun, full shade. Picking the right tree for the right place and the right conditions, including the soil uh, and the soil type, its texture. That'll definitely help uh, minimize that stress. It's going to move into soil and conditions that that it's going to thrive in and be mm -hmm. and be successful in. Um, so know knowing your site for sure. Um, watching the watering this, this has been super stressful, mm -hmm. uh, this summer. And if you haven't seen it already, you can see a lot of the, the trees, um, the boulevard trees, even people's, uh, just, you know, shade trees in their backyards. I've have, uh, had some emails about those. It has been so hot and so dry. The trees physically cannot move enough water to fight off this stress. So in times of super, super hot, uh, conditions, you may have to add some supplemental watering using a root feeder or again, hiring an arborist to maybe come out and water your tree or as um, Joanne loves uh, the gators, mm -hmm. those tree gators. So if you've got a young tree, getting a tree gator around that trunk and letting that water just slowly soak in and fill into um, 
into that those root zones as well. And then I think just Joanne touched on it with the the age of the tree. Just kind of watching your tree, making sure that you know there isn't any irregular growth or damaged uh, or dead or damaged branches up inside the crown that might be causing some issues. There's no crossing or rubbing branches. Uh, just making sure that there's good air circulation and light penetration in there. If you've got older established trees, you might again need a professional to come in, take a look, do a little bit of a crown thinning, uh, and take a look closer, higher up where we can't really see in some of the the ages of uh, the age of that tree. And then always just take a look for any, um, you know. Anything that's kind of weird, you know, it, it suddenly lichens just taking over the core of your tree or, uh, you know, are you getting sticky stuff on your car or your fence or nearby a tree that might signal there's some insects bothering or stressing out your trees and they're yeah, all it's... going to be, oh, I just say they're all going to have their own kind of thing because they're all different uh, trees. So there's, we're not recommending anything that's going to be infested by anything, but just kind of being aware that way and I, go ahead. <laughs> No, sticky. So I had that same client. We talked about her linden tree has got like drop sticky stuff. Is that a is that normal or is that meaning there's some stress to the tree? Yeah, there's usually if you start to see some sticky on the leaves or even like, you know, you park the car underneath. Yes, definitely. Do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone up there. Usually usually it's aphids of some sort um, or like a, a mealy bug might be up there or a scale insect. And they're piercing and sucking the leaves and the younger stems. And that's their frass, which is basically the fancy hort term for poop, uh, falling down in the wind because it's basically just pure sugar and sap. And then that's where it gets sticky. And then if you see, for example, that sticky stuff, maybe you didn't notice the sticky, uh, but maybe it's sticky, but there's lots of black like fuzz or almost like the reverse of powdery mildew, right? A very dark uh, sticky mold on it and it's sooty mold and it takes advantage of the thick sticky sugary stuff that's left on the leaves from the frass of the insects in the tree okay yeah okay. good to know um and i do want to say because i know in, in some of the facebook groups when somebody t- sends a p- picture of a tree that's struggling especially right now there's always somebody or several people in the group that say fertilize it <laughs> so no so there's the many of us like I'm, I'm like you know so that is a stressor too so oddly enough right you think oh you know it's struggling so it needs vitamins or fertilizer kind of thing and no it doesn't necessarily and that is a stressor i mean i think um, and I've got a client where, you know, some of the new sh- trees and shrubs that we're putting in, they're stressed. And so they're, they don't look great, but they don't need fertilizer. And they just, the leaves will do what the leaves will do. The important part is the roots, right? That the roots get established. So, you know, planting a tree in August is not necessarily ideal, but it's doable. But yes, the trees might go into a bit of uh, shock. When one client, we're going to talk about crab apples next, we did a standard, you know, my favorite little lollipop crab apple. And, you know, it definitely was a hot day. It was planted uh, in some wet, really wet, heavy clay in the backyard. And then they watered it some more. So it was a little bit of overwater in this case. Um, but either way, the leaves were going to go yellow and the leaves were going to start to drop. But so I've reassured the client, like, no, it doesn't need fertilizer. It doesn't need anything. It just needs consistent water and it'll be fine. Right. So I think there's many different stress factors and oddly enough, something as much as fertilizer can also at the wrong time for the wrong age of the tree, um, can also be a stressor. So that was lots of answers. Yes. Yeah. So hopefully, Don, that answers your question. And <laughs> I, I definitely agree with you. Remember, fertilizer is 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 not medicine. It's not a med. Like 
when we get stressed from external factors, work or whatever, I mean, we eat, sure, but does that solve the problem? No, there's something else out in our environment that's bothering us and we need to find out what that is and address it. And the same thing with the trees, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's heat or stress or sitting in water, something with the root zone, transplant shock. Yes, definitely. And if you're bringing home, this just bring the bell from earlier this week, if you're bringing home a large tree, take a tarp with you to your local garden center to cover it so it doesn't get the wind blast as you get up to 60 kilometers or uh, whatever that is on the highway driving it home. It's green. You plant it three days later. It's completely yellow or freaking out. That's because you didn't cover your tree and it got windswept on the way home. I had someone just buy a beautiful big multi-stem birch and that's exactly what happened and it's oh just, man everything else was perfect oh anyway. we see we need to do a whole show on uh stress on trees <laughs> yeah, yes exactly so so we're a little past our midway matt but i don't know if you want to just give everybody their update on how they can reach us and tell them more about us right. well and thank you for listening everybody um we've got lots more flowering trees to talk about That's right. So thank you for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my lovely co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love, love, love hearing from our listeners, wherever you're listening from, whether it's the podcast or the live show. Don't forget, you can always write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. Our wonderful producer, Gary, uh, definitely always forwards our email. Did definitely uh, get emails from our podcast uh, or our show on our birthdays. And don't Mm -hmm. forget, you can uh, get us on our websites as well. You can find Joanne at www.downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. Yes, we kind of jumped over that. We've got, again, learning from all of our guests and our wonderful research. You guys have been inspiring us this whole last month on all of these, like lilacs we haven't jumped into, magnolias we could jump more into. We could definitely talk about stresses and other things. So, yes, keep those questions coming. We love mm-hmm. them. That's right. That's right. And crab apples, I mean, again, another one of those like magnolias that kind of get a little bit of a bad rap. They really do. Um, they really do. But they definitely have a place. Uh, there's such a like that's one where there's like a, one for everybody because there's so many different like I love my lollipop. Um, there's also. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking it's Tina. That's also, you know, a nice size tree. A lollipop is it looks exactly like that, like a lollipop. But then there's some mm. really nice columnar varieties. Um, so I just talk about them as shape. But, you know, what the, all the cultivars are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say just one of my favorite, yeah, are definitely the cult, uh, the columnar ones, because everyone thinks of like the oaks or the Dawick beaches or, you know, the European hornbeams. But um, I love the purple spire columnar flowering crab. Mm. Uh, Malice Jeff Spire uh, is its name. Full sun, 
zone three to nine, average to moist well-drained soil, high pollution tolerance, very adaptable to soil types. So she's a, a great little spot if you've got some a rough spot there. Um, it's a little slower growing, but a compact columnar habit, beautiful dark purple green leaves throughout the year. No real appreciable small like fall color. She kind of just holds on, um, growing 28, 20 tall, 20 feet tall and eight feet wide. But the flowering part, again, that uh, spring pink buds emerge to form clusters of beautiful pink blooms in mid-spring, uh, which mature into a nice dark uh, uh, purple fruit that is not messy. Um, so the fruit hang on there, they shrivel, and then they vanish without you really noticing. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of that isn't most of most of varieties now where yeah. the the fruit are kind of tiny. So we, you know, they're not the crab apple that you think of when a kid when they, you know, you had the apples on the ground and right. people were throwing them around. They are tiny. They're they're they usually stay in the tree. Some the birds like, some they don't. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. For a flowering tree, definitely think, look at the new options as far as uh, crab apples, because there are some really nice um, varieties like the columnar, the little standards that grow in a few different, um, you know, uh, sizes and shapes. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's a, it's a really, and, and some of them have burgundy foliage and some have green foliage, you know, so I think you can get some really nice versatile for that uh, spring color. And, and some people do have a sentimentality. I've had some people that ask for you know despite its you know quote unquote potential issues there's some sentimentality to wanting a, a crab apple so yeah so that is uh so something to think about definitely an excellent point on the fruit right when we are we think crab apples cherries and pears all of these ornamental flowering groups uh, like joanne said their cultivars are either almost non-fruiting, which I think is more so in the cherries than the crab or pear, uh, or you get to the crab apples and the flowering pears, and they're just tiny little stone things that, that hang out that either have no color um, or a little bit of a color, and then they shrivel and they vanish. Like a, a service berry, a lot of people, uh, those berries are very sought after by the birds and they, they will fall uh, and they can create a little bit of a mess if a, against a stone surface, but they are not going to, these flowering crabs, up, pears and cherries, they're not going to create that mess. And there's there's nothing to worry. I think of like Dolgo is probably one of the ones you'll see right now on the market that has that classic um, edible crab apple right now. Mm, and they're out right. there, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean they're all going to fruit or create that mm -hmm. mess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Excellent, excellent point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that everything, everybody right now is looking for privacy trees or those narrow columnar trees. Yeah. Um, and but then I think they they're afraid if they hear the word crabapple, and and they really are um, a, a good option in those situations and something unique. Um, yeah, you know, and so it's like two for one. You're getting a flower. You're getting maybe some interesting, you know, foliage, and then you're also getting that columnar shape. Um, and then we can transition right really from them, the crab apples to the flowering pears, which also sometimes get a little bit of a bad rap. There's a, some that are a, a, a lot that we don't recommend planting that have a, a bit more susceptible to some things. Um, but they do put on a good show in the spring, don't they? Uh, they definitely do. And probably the most popular one, or at least one of the most popular ones, probably in our area is that Chanticleer ornamental, ornamental pear. Um, so, you know, so four to nine, but growing, you know, 40 feet tall and 16 feet wide, often seen, I know in my neighborhood, uh, and a couple streets over, uh, it's the street tree. 
And in that uh, springtime, the white flowers, mid-spring, again, no ornamental fruit, uh, but that whole street just lights up with that beautiful white flowers uh, and they kind of blush pink. I, I find it just very lightly as they, they age, uh, but absolutely stunning. Again, a nice columnar tree, uh, fast growing upright pyramidal form, rich, glossy green heart-shaped leaves. Um, yeah, it's it's a probably a classic one. Again, minimal pruning, very minimal maintenance needed, mm-hmm. save, you know, pruning a little bit of a, an issue, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But aren't there, uh, there's a few other varieties that depending on where you are, I think, isn't it Bradford that can yeah. be a little bit on the invasive yep. and uh, calorie uh, or uh, I also think Bradford's fairly weak too, right? A little bit more like. Bradford has a little bit more of, of some weaker wood. Yeah. And it's a little bit more rounded and a little bit wider in its, in its habit. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the other ones that jumped to my mind um, and I was thinking just because of the, like a colder climate, um, it was the um, navigator ornamental pair. Um, okay. So hardy to full sun, hardy to zone 2A. Uh, so very, very far north, um, preferring average to moist conditions. But again, like some of the other pairs, you don't want them to dry out. Um, if they get really, really dry for very long periods of time, uh, they will take some good damage. Uh, very adaptable, growing 25 feet tall, 12 feet wide. Um, very fast growing, dense oval shape. And again, that nice dark green heart shaped uh, leaf as well. So that was one of my favorite ones, white flowers, mid springs before the leaves appear. And again, Mm -hmm. insignificant fruit. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So they definitely have like little, they look like more like cherries than pears, right? Like just hanging from the tree, they stay green and uh, they're very insignificant. So barely uh, like over a quarter of an inch wide, like they're Mm -hmm. very, very small. Yeah. And the cool thing about, I mean, most of, I think of our flowering trees do flower in the spring, but all with slightly different timing. So I think you could really plan a garden, you know, having like some of the, you know, standard standards that we talked about previously that, you know, like you can have a standard lilac and a standard hydrangea both bloom at different times, a standard, like a lollipop crab apple blooms at a different time. And then something like a, you know, tall, narrow crab apple or an ornamental pear. So something's blooming, like it's all kind of, cause spring is like April to June, right? So something's mm-hmm. blooming all the time in there. And yet when they're done blooming they still are a cool uh tree and you can get several of those because they're all a a, a condensed size um you know into a reasonable yard agreed yeah there's Mm -hmm. so much timing textures different Mm -hmm. colors between them all i mean i think a lot of them we've mentioned right now are either white or pink uh, but you know there's so many different shades and tones and colors Mm -hmm. within that as well yeah even some of the magnolias the dark purples yeah Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I, uh, let's talk about ivory silk and then we've got a few questions. So ivory, so we just brought up lilac. So ivory silk is like a Japanese tree lilac. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, it is a syringa. Um, reti- syringa reticulata. Thank you. <laughs> and that's much better at Latin than I am. Um, so yeah, so that is a one that I like to use and they're getting harder to find actually. And I love it because it's, it's a nice size tree, you know, 15, my research is like kind of 15 by 15 um, and uh, blooms in June, which is a little bit later, um, but it's also like the service berry available as a tree, as well as multi-stemmed, um, a bit more multi-stemmed like a magnolia even. Uh, right. Yeah. So right. what else do you know about the service berry? Yeah. Like, like you said, or 
The service berry. <laughs> Sorry, the ivory I'm, silk lilac. Yeah. They're and they're using them as street trees too. They are, and you know what? My my direct street, um, and I won't say it because it is a tree name as well. But um, my uh, street, I'm lined with ivory silk lilacs, and again, a beautiful show. Um, usually when everybody else is kind of finishing or done, um, nice, beautiful flowers, six to 12 inches tall, um, you know, that six to 10 inches wide, those nice creamy white clusters uh, in June. Yeah, it, this one is also a, a Japanese uh, tree. So it is native to Northern Japan because we do have a lot of lilacs we'll see in our large standard form, like I think we talked about in our two-part uh, uh, series as well. So yeah, full sun, partial shade, again, depending on where you are, um different in in its heights and ranges we definitely see them like you were saying that kind of that smaller 15 to 20 kind of range that's basically what mine are out on my my boulevards here they're maybe about 12 to 15 tall and they're maybe eight to ten feet uh wide but they're growing anywhere from zone three to seven uh, medium growth rate forming a spreading kind of an oval crown um, as they get older i have a really older old one at my uh, chiropractors absolutely stunning she's easily 20 to 25 feet tall 20 feet wide uh, but as they age if you get a really old one they actually start to arch outwards uh, and it's a very beautiful habit as she ages but depending again where you are 20 to 30 tall and 15 to 20 feet um, wide but that's a nice old specimen and they're they're a moderate grower uh, and they do prefer somewhere with some cooler summers for that best performance. So if we get lots of heat where you are, uh, you might not see them grow as as quickly as well. But yeah, beautiful mid-June lasting. I've seen them last up to two weeks, those beautiful mm -hmm. uh, creamy flowers. I don't like the scent. I don't like the scent of them. I kind of think they kind of smell a little weird. I like the other ones, our, our yeah. North American ones, but yeah. Okay. But again, um, yeah, beautiful uh, tree form, that stick in a ball kind of tree form, uh, or that natural multi-stemmed uh, shrub form. And if you have that multi-stemmed shrub form as well, as far as the pruning grows, if you need to revigorate invigorate it again, you can rejuvenate prune and cut that down to about, you know, anywhere from a foot to two feet and watch wow. it grow a grand. Yeah, you can give her a really hard okay. uh, pruning and she'll regenerate. So, okay. yeah. All right. Um, Helen has written in. So just to get a few questions in, um, Helen yes. has written in from Timmins. Hello, Helen. Welcome. Are there any large yeah. trees that make very good shade trees, but do not require a lot of leaf raking or maintenance every year? We are lazy. <laughs> That's all. Uh, yeah. So I think my mind goes right to an oak tree. What do you think? What do you think of pin oak? Yeah. Boom. Top of the list. Uh, yes. And all the oak trees for sure. They like to hang on to those leaves. Yes. Especially the English types, uh, the rowbar, Quirkus rowbars. Uh, yeah, definitely. They'll have their leaves. Some of them will fall, but a lot of them just turn that paper brown and just kind of wait for the winter or the early spring to push them off and out of the tree. Another group that goes, um, some of the beaches will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They'll have mm -hmm. that kind of semi-evergreen look where they'll act like we just described the oaks. Uh, and then some of the European hornbeams um, can do that sometimes too but oh, okay. I find not as strongly as the oaks or the beaches by mm -hmm. any means. yeah definitely definitely so yeah so Helen they hold on to their leaves so they don't fall as much in the fall yeah. and then they you know they then the new growth pushes them off and so they kind of just you know so it's more I find it's more of like a leaf blower thing than a really having to rake it right because uh 
they don't come down in mounds and mounds like regular, you know, trees do. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get like a Norway maple that dumps everything and blankets everything, for sure. And then if you go with the oaks, Helen, you've got, you know, all those the beautiful fall colors across the, all those oak species, mm-hmm. um, for sure, for sure. That's yeah. right. Hopefully that um, answers your question. Yeah. So Steve has written in, uh, the show is tonight is fantastic. Are red maple trees expensive? I love the way that they look. Um, so I don't know what kind of tree, like if they, cause sometimes there's red maple that are red, <laughs> right? Not green. Or there's some that are green and go red in the fall. So not sure what you're talking about. Um, uh, Steve, maple trees are usually, cause they're pretty re- quickly re- reproducible, right? They're not usually too pr- expensive. No, you can usually get a decent sized tree. Just try to recall it. Well, even what I have anywhere from like, you know, 179.99 and up retail. Uh, and that's all depending on, is it bald and burlap, wire basket? Mm-hmm. What size is, is it container grown? Um, and they're going to range anywhere for easily from like eight feet to like 12 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending again, depending on where you are and what you've got, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. We, oh, go ahead. Do we want to advise people not to plant a Norway maple or a crimson king well, maple? And that's exactly where it's going to go. So, Steve, yeah. So, just like Joanne was saying, red maple. So, if you are going for our native red maple, you are um, Acer rubra, which is beautiful green leaves, um, small uh, ovate leaves, uh, lightly serrated, beautiful red fall color. Uh, and we often see it's uh, autumn blaze maple, which is a cross between the red and the silver, uh, I believe, as a beautiful fall tree just for that fall color. However, yes, the Norway maple, which is the classic Canadian maple leaf shaped leaf, about the size of your hand, that rich purple color all year round. Um, I There's a place for them in the world somewhere, but here they are definitely weed trees. Um, yeah, they look I, nice, but they are invasive. So yes. just, yeah, so it's not commonly known, I don't think. So it's no. our kind of our place to, they, you know, if you already have one, you have one, um, yeah. you know, but um, to go and buy new and encourage that and that encourage that industry, um, we don't recommend it. They're not as, um, you know, like animal, it's not as, you know, no, nothing really depends on it. And they just grow and kind of take over and choke out. They grow so prolifically with their seeds that it, that they then choke out other native trees where that plants do, the animals do rely on them. So that's something right. so to think about. Avoid anything that says Acer platinoides, because that's your Norway maple. Norway maple, <laughs> right. Right. Um, so uh, James, he says, you knew this was coming, but here goes. Is it too early to put down fall fertilizer on my lawn? Just wondering, since it's now getting a bit cooler, really, James? <laughs> uh, uh, and leaves are actually starting to change a bit here in Northern Ontario. Well, we're dying of heat down here, but uh, yeah, August 40. is still a little early, <laughs> right? Sorry, James. I, and, you know, it is sad that it's, leaves are changing, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Does, does the fact that he's in Northern Ontario, like to me, it's not fall, right? So it's a little early. Yeah, it's definitely not fall, but usually, and and we've repeated it because we do have some good fall or lawn episodes, James. Uh, but yeah, usually your fall is going to start anywhere in early early to mid September. I usually say, uh, you know, if you kind of look for that Labor Day date, which tends to be either really early or uh, you know later in the first or second week, uh, that first or second Sunday, you know, that sixth kind of area. Uh, but yeah, your fall to start in 
around Labor Day and then go for your winter. Usually when they, whatever your Halloween or your first frost dates are, um, just a, a week or so before those. Uh, but yeah, if it's getting cooler and leaves are changing, um, yeah, go for it. Um, and where are you in Northern Ontario? Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, we're jealous of your weather. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't so say that too loud. Today. I mean, we, you know, we might as well take on to the heat as long as we can, but keep in mind though, James, that if your lawn is struggling, it could just be lack of water. It does. It might not necessarily Correct. need the fertilizer yet. Kind of like the trees, you know, if it has been a drought prior to, you know, that maybe this week has been cooler, but prior to that, it's been dry and hot. Um, it may just need, you know, that inch of water every few days and you watch it kind of like it's gone dormant. So it's not really that it needs fertilizing yet, but it's gone dormant. So that's something to keep in mind um, because it could also like when the tree doesn't need fertilizing, you know, the grass might not need it yet too, either. So, yes, so, yeah. exactly. So yeah. definitely. Um, so Nan is asking us when is speaking of trees, when is the best time to plant a tree? um they always there isn't the the line 20 years ago nan (laughs) but uh (laughs) uh, is now approaching fall a good to do it thank you um so yeah i mean i'm mixed on this what do you want to say i like to lean towards the fall um i like to lean towards the fall it is usually a little warmer and it's a very shorter period but the sun is usually retreating in the sky and the water tables you know, in a perfect season without climate change, et cetera, that's a whole other argument. Uh, but, you know, the water table raises, the sun stress slowly goes away uh, and the ground starts to cool off a little bit. And then you can, at least you have the tree, it's planted, it might start to establish a little bit, especially if you can get her in the ground mid to end of September. Uh, and then she goes dormant and then she's going to wake up into a period where hopefully, again, the sun stress is lower, but the days are growing brighter. You've got a, hopefully lots of snow melt and the ground is nice and moist and you can slowly work up into, you know, the warmer months of September. So you tend to have more in-ground time in that first year where it should be, hopefully, as we both kind of look at each other over Zoom and go, eh, uh, cooler and more water and a little less stress. So mm-hmm. I say fall. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can talk more about that. Like, please tune in next week. So we're like yes. rapidly running out of time. But yeah. <laughs> next next week, we're going to talk all trees because we realize uh, we haven't done like a question and answer and, and just throw anything at us, you know, focus on trees so we can, we've missed a few of our flowering ones, which we'll, we'll cover next week. Um, but some great questions tonight about shade trees and, and planting a tree um, and all of that. So, uh, so we're excited uh, to talk that next week. Um, we're happy. So please, if you've missed, uh, we've got a few people that written in saying they're new to the show. So all month we've talked about flowering trees. So please, um, you can check out our uh, website. Um, I'm at, uh, or on, on the latest podcast app, sorry, and now I'm like scrambling. Um, you can look <laughs> back at the last, uh, the last month of August. We talked, we've been talking about flowering trees and we talked about shrubs uh, before that. Uh, so yeah, so there's lots of good episodes uh for you Uh, so search down the garden path podcast on your favorite podcast app and you can catch past episodes and i'm excited what for next week right we're going to talk about you know just trees and questions and answers yeah yeah just like you said we've missed a few we've got lots of questions so join us next week uh here on realityradio101.com at 7 p.m standard eastern standard time Uh, And we look forward to continuing this conversation as we wrap up our month on flowering trees. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you next week. 
Uh, thank you for joining us here on Reality Radio 101 on Down the Garden Path. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.